The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. We now get to begin our series in the book of Acts. Now here at Heritage, oftentimes in honor of God's word, what we'll do, and this is actually a, a tradition that has been long standing in the church for centuries. Uh, back before everyone had a copy of the Bible that they could hold on to and read for themselves, um, before printing presses were everywhere and all those things, it was actually a rare thing to be able to read the Word of God. Only a few people had it, only a few people had access to it. And so when the church would come together and the pastor or the leader of the church would come before the church and he would open up God's Word and begin to speak, he would say, this is the Word of the Lord, and he would read the Word. And in honor of the special and just, just the privilege of hearing from God himself, and, and make no mistake, family, like we believe we are hearing from God himself as we lit, read these things. Amen, church? And so it was such a big deal that, that they would stand in honor of the words as they were being read. And then when they would finish, the pastor would say, this is the word of the Lord. And the people would say, thanks be to God. Now that is not just some old school church tradition. That was genuine praise for them. And so for us, we do that here not only to remind ourselves, as the book of Acts is going to do, that we are part of something that's been around for a very, very long time. Uh, but also to remind ourselves that it is an honor to be able to come in the presence of the Lord and to be able to hear from the creator of heaven and earth. That is an honor. Amen? So I'm going to ask you guys in honor of God's word to stand. And as you do, if you have some empty seats around you and you can scoot one way or another, we still have some people trickling in. We'd love to be able to get them a spot. Those of you coming in, don't worry about interrupting us. Just come in and have a seat. It's good to have you guys. But turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 1 through 11 this morning. And the word of God says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Father, we bow before you right now in humble adoration. We are honored to be able to be in your presence, to be surrounded by your family, the sons and daughters of God, redeemed by the gracious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be here. It is not a chore and it is not a religious task. It's a privilege. And we are so 
thankful for the gift of gathering together as your church. God, as we open this new book and as we worship, God, I pray that you would speak to your church and you would lead your church and you would pastor your church and you would guide your church. That you would save more people and add to your church. And in the end, Lord, we pray ultimately, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For that day that we see you coming back from the cloud in the same way that you went, Lord, that's what we long for even if our soul doesn't even realize it. That is what all of us and all creation desperately hope for. So we pray, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until that day, God, may you make us faithful and may you spread your gospel and may you save more. So we're here bowing before you, Lord, to hear from you, that you might instruct and grow your church, that we might accomplish your purposes, and that we might honor you and worship you in everything that we do. Lord, we pause also to to pray for, for our dear church, Philippi, in Grants Pass. Lord, what a privilege to study the book of Acts as we have actually been, by your grace, been able to live out the book of Acts in planting a new church. And I pray, God, that even right now, you would be speaking through Pastor Sam. That you would give him words of grace, a gospel for that valley, the gospel for that valley. And I pray, God, that you would give him grace in the ears of his listeners and that you would save many there as well. And we long for the day that we are reunited together, Lord, your church all together worshiping in your place. So come quickly again, we pray. And Lord, for this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our king, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. If you're still coming in, please don't worry about it. Come on in. There's more seats over on this side. There's some seats down front. I don't spit far enough to reach, I don't think, so we should be fine. But would love to have you guys come on in and join us. some more on that side as well. So, we had fun this summer. Yeah, church? The Mythbusters series was fun. A little bit of a change of pace. But now we get back to what I actually love. And I, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the Mythbusters series. I really, really did. But, but this is what I am about. Uh, what Heritage really is built on, what, what we really, one of our core values and what we desire to be always um, is a church that expositionally teaches through the Word of God. That just means literally we open the Word of God and we, we essentially expose what God's Word says. Uh, a preacher who's doing this the right way is the, the fancy word for it is called exegete. And what that means is we look at what's here and we pull the truth out of it for everyone to understand. The opposite of that is called isogete. It means we know what we want to say and we try to find ways to make God's word say what we want it to say. That is not what we're about here at Heritage. Amen? So that means sometimes we say things that are popular. Sometimes we say things that aren't. Sometimes we say things that are comfortable. Sometimes we say things that aren't. But the one thing that we will camp on that we want to make sure we are always standing on, be it uh, happy words, words of instruction, or words of correction, we always want to stand on God's word because it is God's word that will never fail. Not man's word, not man's philosophies. Those have come and gone for throughout really the history of mankind. But God's word has prevailed and stayed, so we stay upon it. Amen, church? She's with me. Everybody else? All right, so that's our goal here. So, so in this next season, we're going to be going through the book of Acts verse by verse and trying to just study and see, God, what do you have to say to us from these very words? And I'm excited about that. This is what I'm all about. Um, and what we're going to learn as we go along is kind of why we're here. 
Because, and we've said this before, we even said it a couple of weeks ago as we were talking through the Mythbusters series. Like, think about it, ask yourself this, why are you here this morning? I don't want to chase anyone off, believe me, but it's beautiful outside today. And the weather's amazing outside today. And I've actually been at Lake of the Woods this weekend with my family. They're all still there. I actually came down to preach. I'll be going back up to visit them right after church. It's amazing up there, man. I left this gorgeous, beautiful lake, this huge mountains, crystal clear, smoke-free skies. Amen. By the way, don't forget to thank God for the summer that we prayed for in May. Amen. Like we prayed for that summer and God has graciously given it to us. And God, we just pause even right now to give you glory and honor and say thank you for the beauty that you've blessed us with this year in Southern Oregon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We give you credit for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, but anyway, all that's to say, why do that? Why wouldn't I stay up there? Why wouldn't we all be camping? Why wouldn't we all be home watching football if you're not a Bronco fan? Or something like that. Like, why wouldn't we be doing that? Why are we here? And that is what the book of Acts is all about. Now, I said we're starting a new book, and we kind of are, but really we're just picking up from where we left off. Because the book of Acts is the second part of the story of Luke that we just spent the last, I don't know, 60-something sermons doing before our sermon kicked in. So the book of Luke and the book of Acts are written by the same person to the same person to tell the same story. This is just the continuation and completion of the story that started before. That's what we're going to be doing. Amen, church? And it starts like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now listen, there's no judgment here, so you can answer honestly because I'm probably with you. Any binge watchers of any sort of TV series in here say amen? There's a few, right? So you know how like season one ends and then it's like a year and you've been binge watching like 40 other shows too. And so now you come to that new one and you're like, I don't even remember where we left off. And they start off with the recap. You know the recap? When we last met. And then they show all the stuff, right? It's kind of like a quick, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. That's what we're doing, that's right. That's what we just read. This is the recap. This is kind of Luke's summary to say, okay, Theophilus, so just to remember, here's what we've been talking about. And he's reminding, kind of picking up from where he left off as he begins this story. And so here's what I want you to grab out of this. In some ways, Acts, especially Acts chapter 1, is transitional. Because the the disciples themselves are going to have to transition out of one period of life and into another. There's now going to have to figure out what does life look like? What does ministry look like? What do our lives and our future look like? No longer having Jesus Christ in the flesh walking beside us all the time. And guys, that's a big deal, right? Like that's a big deal. That would be a significant thing to get used to. And so in one sense, it's transitional. They're being pushed out of the nest. No longer reliant on on Jesus to kind of give them every instruction and lead them every step of the way. In one sense, 
It is transitional like that, and they have to figure all of this out. And you're going to see some of this in, in the second half of Acts chapter 1, by the way, which we are not going to have time to cover. So your homework this week is to finish Acts chapter 1 and then go into and read Acts chapter 2 and start studying, thinking through uh, what is next to come. And I should remind you guys, if, if you're new or you haven't been around, we, we actually at the Connect desk, we may have some left. I don't know if we have any more left, but there's a whole other case coming in this week. We have these Acts journals. Can somebody hold one up nice and high? Oh, we got a bunch of them in here, okay? So that is the English Standard Version of the Book of Acts, which is what we're teaching from, with spaces for you to take notes all along the way. So we were blessed by Crossway Publishing. They sold those to us for $3 a piece. So we've been selling them at the exact same cost just to translate those guys off to you. I think we've already sold over 200 of them now, and so we got some more coming this week. So if you didn't get one next week, bring three bucks with you. We'll have some there at the thing. Anyway... Now, in, in Acts chapter 1, you're going to see some of that transition. So in the second half of Acts chapter 1, there's this story that will be given where the disciples fill the empty slot. You guys know what I mean by the empty slot, some of you? Because there was 12, and how many of them are there now? 11. And it's a real heartbreaking, gut-wrenching story. Uh, but one of them who was following Jesus wasn't really following Jesus, was he? And, uh, and he's now, he's the one who betrayed Jesus, turned Jesus over for money, and then was so consumed with guilt and shame that he ends up taking his own life. And so now there's 11 of them. And so you see this story where the disciples come together and they actually cast lots. They pray and cast lots to decide who's the next guy we should bring into that 11th slot because now we have, a, if you will, an empty seat on the board. So how do we fill this particular slot? And let me just say two things about that really quickly. First of all, that process, that story in some circles actually gets a lot of grief. Meaning people will look at that story and go, the apostles messed up here. What they did is instead of going like Jesus told them and waiting in Jerusalem, they actually decided to go about the business of things and they're casting lots even to do it and, and this is messed up. And so they, they raise up this guy, Matthias, but weirdly enough, he's never mentioned again in scripture and they'll say probably the, the apostle God wanted was the apostle Paul and that's why the scriptures show him so much later on and they kind of uh, point a little bit of a finger and say that that second half of Acts chapter 1 is, is like a negative, something the apostles weren't supposed to do. Um, let me just encourage us to think in this way in general with scripture. When there's not condemnation there, let's not condemn things. And so in that story, what you actually see, if you'll do the homework and look, you'll see the apostles are actually drawing on Old Testament passages, including a prophecy that talks about someone fulfilling and stepping into an office that has been vacated. And they go before God in a practice, casting lots, that was actually a pretty common part of a lot of decision-making at that time. And they pray to God, Lord, who is the one that you raise up? And the two candidates they have there are two men who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection and close followers of Jesus all the time. They're not bad guys. What I do think we can take away from it, not needing to condemn these guys for doing this, there's really no even point to that. And, and honestly, like, we like to make fun of the apostles. It helps us feel better about ourselves. It really does. Amen? It does. But we don't need to do that here. Here's what I'd rather say. Let's take away from that. These guys were really serious about the mission that was in front of them. Like, think about it. If they didn't realize that there was a purpose of them being together now moving forward, why fill the seat in the first place? I mean, the guy's just gone. So, oh well, he's gone. But they believed in what they were being called to do, and they believed in their role in leading it. 
And let's at least give them credit for believing in the Old Testament scriptures, believing in the Old Testament prophecies, and in believing in the importance of the mission that Jesus had given them to fulfill. Amen? So the, the apostles are in this transition where they're going, okay, how do we do this? How do we practically now move forward with what Jesus has left us to do? Because it was, you know, Jesus was here giving a specific instruction before, and now he's not. So what's this going to look like? But in another sense, this book isn't transitional at all. It is a continuation. Just look at what we read. In verse 1, it says, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what's the word? Began to do and teach. Now, Many people will think, okay, even in Luke's writings, the book of Luke is the part with Jesus as the star, and the book of Acts is the part with the Holy Spirit as the star. And that is not true. In fact, the Holy Spirit, Jesus even says, the Holy Spirit's role is to testify of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit himself would say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. So the goal or the, the role of the Holy Spirit is continuing the work that Jesus had been doing with them all along. Jesus is still the star. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all one God anyway. This is just a continuation. Jesus' teachings didn't end. They began, and they have continued to do so. Case in point, how many of you have been taught by Jesus and saved by Jesus in the last 2,000 years? He's still teaching, isn't he? He's still saving. He's still working. He's still moving. The book of Acts is the ongoing works of the Holy Spirit and the ministry and salvation of Jesus Christ throughout human history. It is not, the, the ascension of Jesus into heaven is not a climax. It's a new beginning. And what we are here a part of is the continuation of said story. But I don't want to give my ending away yet, okay? So, it's transitional, but it's not. Amen? You guys tracking with me on that? This is what's going on. And, and can I just remind you of one more thing? Like, don't forget this part. And he emphasizes it here. Jesus is alive. Like, so we read this oftentimes. Many of us, especially if we've grown up in church, we've been around the church for a long time, we read it through a lens of familiarity, and we start the book of Acts assuming already the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But at that point, we're talking about a 40-day period. I'm guessing the apostles were walking around still in awe. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think they were still absolutely blown away by what had just happened? Still had a million questions. Still just couldn't believe. Still looked at the scars on his hands and his head and could not believe what had happened. And here's what I'll say, church, and this is one thing I'm really excited about us going through this series again. We need to recapture that sense of awe of the resurrection. It's not just an Easter thing. It's an every day of our lives thing. We should be amazed by the fact that Jesus Christ is still alive, teaching, working, and saving today. Amen? I thought that would get a clap, John. Really, I did. I thought that was like, that's clappable. Not because of me, but because of the fact that he is still involved in our lives. That's amazing. It'd be easy to go, well, I mean, but they're the apostles, and they wrote the Bible and stuff like that. So, of course, he's involved in their lives. He's involved in my life. That's crazy to me. The, I, I ran into this gal at a Cascade High School football game like two weeks ago, and she was one of my kids in, when I was a youth pastor at Mountain years ago. 
And she went on and got this job where she was flying for the national weather, whatever, NOAA and stuff like that, and flying airplanes all over. And I'm an airplane junkie, so I was super jealous of all that. And, and I'm talking to her, and I'm like, so you're, are you flying anymore? She goes, actually, I just moved back. I'm going to be living in Klamath Falls now, which I immediately went, why? <laughs> Sorry, Klamath Falls people, but we got to pick on somebody. <clears throat> so I'm like, why? She goes, oh, I, I got this new job. She goes, I've been, you know, I've been working with them and I've been in the Air National Guard and now they're going to be training me to train others to fly F-15s. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait. That means you are going to be flying F-15s, like fighter jets. She goes, my last training is ejection seat training and I'm done. I'm like, what? I was just blown away. That, that, look what this girl's accomplishing. I couldn't believe it. And, I'm, and then, then I'm like, so what's, what's your sister doing? Her younger sister went to school to do like study filmmaking and all this stuff she just so happened to wrap up being the assistant to the director in filming Top Gun 2 and is now in Europe as an assistant to the director for Mission Impossible 7 and 8 and then she says so what have you been up to <laughs> um I, I, I got some new shoes this week <laughs> Like, how do you answer that? You know what I mean? But listen, Jesus is alive. The creator of heaven and earth is active and alive in your life. No fighter jet can compare to that. Like, that's amazing, amen? So like, church, don't forget. Don't forget how amazing it is that Jesus is alive and that he loves you. If, if you've lost that awe, beg God for it again, because it's worth having. The apostles had it, and we should have it. Amen? Amen. But I could keep preaching on that, but we'll just keep going right now. Let's move forward. Two more things we need to know before we move on. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, he, it says that he had given commands. Uh, if you would like, you could take that S on the word commands and scratch it out. The original language is actually a singular word there. And what it's talking about, what he's reaching back to, is the command that God had given his apostles and that he was giving them over and over and over. Matthew 28, verse 16, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. It's this continual emphasis of that command to them. That's a singular word there. That's what I want you to remember. And the second thing that I want you to remember, and it's tied to that, is that Luke wants us to know that the thing that Jesus is teaching them is regarding specifically the kingdom of God. Jesus wants them to understand and realize the kingdom of God in a very specific and powerful way. And, and here, here's kind of why. It's very significant here. In the kingdom of God, in, in uh, oh, my microphone was turned around. Now I just fixed it and the sound just blew out, right? Sorry, fellas. Sorry, fellas. Kingdom of God represents two things in these writings, okay? The kingdom of God in the book of Acts, number one, represents Israel's hope for God to fully reign one day. So if you talk to an Israelite in this day about the kingdom of God, they are envisioning and hoping for the day that God is on the throne of earth and no one else can challenge his rule ever again. That's the day they're longing for and hoping for. And then the second thing that it talks about often is this promise of a renewed creation. This idea that things are going to be put back together again. 
So we'll get to that in just a minute, but let me give you a quick side note with that regard. This idea of the kingdom of God, and and this is when they talk about the gospel, they're spreading the good news gospel of the kingdom of God. Part of that gospel is the fact that God is putting all things back together again. And so if, if your definition of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ stops with Jesus died for my sins, you've forgotten some really important parts of the gospel. And so the easiest way that I can do this, that the way that I remember it and the easiest way I have of sharing it with others is that the gospel is composed of four different things. You can just jot these four words down and it makes life a whole lot more simpler. Number one, creation. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that God created heaven and earth. It is an important part of it because it sets up the authority structure right away. That God is the one who created us and he has creator's rights. It means that we as his creation, are submitted to God. Amen? But then the second word is called fall. That we have fallen from our purpose with God. We have, we have severed that relationship with God because when man sinned, it wasn't just that we did a bad thing. It was that we had rejected the rule and reign of God in order that we might rule and reign ourselves. And in that sin, in that open rebellion against God, everything was broken. Relationships between men and other men or other women were broken. Relationships between man and God were broken. Even relationship between man and creation were broken. Things like mosquitoes at Lake of the Woods didn't exist before. That's part of the curse. The world is broken. And look, that's an easy point to sell among unbelievers right now, right? You don't have to look far to understand how broken the world is. With shootings and hurricanes and political backbiting and wars and all the things going on anyone you talk to in the world that doesn't believe in Jesus will believe in the fall and so in many places that's where we have to start because what's everybody asking how could a loving God let a world like this exist and there's your answer that God designed Eden but it's broken but the third word is redemption That we, as fallen, rebellious people who have sinned against God, there has been a way made that we might be reunited with God. And that is because God himself came. God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, doing everything right in a way we never could. Then went to the cross where our sin and guilt was placed upon his shoulders, and he paid the price. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ experienced death, which is the ultimate result of the fall. Jesus took it on himself. And the Bible tells us that by putting faith in him, repenting of our sins, and putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we get to switch places with him. We suddenly become as he is. The righteousness that Jesus had covers us in spite of our sins, and the penalty for our sins is paid on the cross where Jesus Christ took it. It's not like God just goes, oh, I know you sin, but you believe in me now, so I'll forget it. No, 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 not at all. It is that our sin was satisfied and dealt with through the pain, suffering, death, and spilt blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then he rose again to triumph over evil, to show that death has no hold over him or anyone else who follows him. And he is now currently in heaven. He's defending us. The Bible calls Satan an accuser, and when Satan comes, he goes, Jeff? You love Jeff? God, maybe you were paying attention to something else somewhere, but let me tell you what Jeff just did. And God looks at Jeff and goes, all I see is Jesus. 
Not that I'm Jesus, but I am covered by the righteousness that Jesus earned. So when God sees me, maybe a better way of saying it goes, that's just my perfect son. Which is crazy. Ask my wife. That's crazy. But it is one million percent true. And if you are a follower of Jesus, even though you in your heart, you know where you're broken and you know what's wrong. And and as David says, my sin is ever before me. And you know it. And you've got condemnation and you're trying so hard to be a better person because maybe that'll make you feel better. And all those things. If you are in Christ, everybody else might condemn you. But the one who matters most, who created everything on earth, looks at you and he says, that is my perfect son. Amen? That is true. That's true. And that should spark awe too, right? Spark joy. How does it go? I don't know. Forget that show. Anyway, so there's redemption. And then the last part, which is what we're talking about here all together, is restoration. Jesus is putting things back together again. Everything is being fixed. Everything's being put back together. The salvation that Jesus earned on the cross is not only our own soul's salvation, but it's rebuilding Eden. And one day, disease will be gone. One day, the pain will be gone. The guilt that we still feel at times will be gone. And the accuser and his annoying little pointing finger will be gone. And everything will be right back. And nobody ever will say, how could a loving God let this happen? They'll say, how could God be so loving? And that's the, where our hope that we look forward to. The one thing Israel did so well is they longed for that day. Church, don't get so caught up in our modern day little kingdoms that we forget about the real one that's coming. Because he's coming. It's coming. It could be tomorrow. And we waste so much time with so many things and we forget that that's where our hope lies. Amen, church? It's good news. Amen? So there's your words. You can easily share the gospel with somebody if you understand creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But let me just, a little side note, because it's really what we're going to be dealing with, especially next week. The power of salvation in the gospel is not in how great you are with these definitions. It's in someone who, under the Spirit of God, is willing to talk about Jesus to the lost. God takes care of that. So don't feel like you've got to get this nailed before you share the gospel with somebody. Do it today, amen? All right? So that's where we're at. So now we can move forward. So Jesus spends 40 days with them post-resurrection. He's teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's preparing them for this mission, this commandment that he had given them. In verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now I want you to notice something, there's a word in there, ordered, meaning like, listen to me, do not leave Jerusalem without the promise that I have told you about. It's an order, it means he really meant this, this was important. I mean, remember, these are like Jesus' parting words as he's about to go up into heaven. And, and have you ever been around someone who, like, maybe they're moving or they're only going to be around you a little long and you've got that little bitty window of time left and they're like, listen, of all the things, just remember this. And so here's Jesus saying, listen, do not leave Jerusalem without this power. The first thing he gave them was the message, this gospel of the kingdom of God. The second thing he gave them was the mission, that they were going to spread it to every man, woman, and child And the third thing he wants to give them now is the power to actually accomplish this mission that he's given them. 
And he's saying, don't you dare try to do it without it. Stay in Jerusalem until this power comes. And I'm going to be real transparent with you guys. I did not want to do the book of Acts this fall. I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to do it. We actually taught, if you've been around Heritage for a long, long time, we actually taught uh, through the book of Acts like 10 years ago. So I didn't want to do it again. I actually wanted to go Old Testament because we haven't been in the Old Testament in a long time. And, and particularly, I love the book of Genesis. So I was like, man, we could go and dig into some of those big, deep, rich stories in the book of Genesis. But at the time, we were planting Philippi in Grants Pass. And so Sam and I were talking about ways that we could maintain relationship between the two churches as we move forward. And, and one of the things we decided is, man, we should teach together for a while. Like, follow the same teaching calendar together. We could even do pulpit swaps. Or if someone went to Grants Pass, they could go over there and they're not even missing anything and, and all this kind of stuff. And so we were like, okay, great, that's the plan. So what do we teach on? And I said, Genesis. And Sam said, Acts. And we went, hmm. So I used my authority and said, no, little dude, no, of course not. No, we, we tried to talk about it, and Sam convinced me because he was like, no, I, I hear what you're saying, but he said, I just really feel like for the very beginning of this new church that we need to start in the book of Acts and really understand as a church why we're here in the first place. And so I really feel that. And so at first, I conceded only because of that. I was just like, okay, we'll teach Acts again the relationship with Philippi is more important to me than like me getting my way and we'll do Genesis next time, that's fine. But as I've studied it and thought about it and prayed about it and been reading it, I'll tell you right now, I am so, this is God's will that we study the book of Acts right now and I'm convinced of it. And one of the biggest reasons I believe that our church needs to go through the book of Acts is because we need the power of God to accomplish the mission that he's given us. We need a season when we are remembering that there is a Holy Spirit that has an active role in our life and we need to spend some time waiting, asking and walking in the spirit of God in a way that Acts so beautifully shows us. Amen? We need this. We need this church. This is why I'm so excited. Now I want you to think about what Jesus is doing here. He tells them, do not leave, stay in Jerusalem until this power, this spirit, I'm going to set my spirit on you. Now you have to understand, remember, think back to, to this, that Jesus is saying, this is a fulfillment of a lot of Old Testament passages from Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel. There's all these places that talk about how God was going to send his power upon his people. So they're familiar with this. They've heard this sort of language before, that God would, as Ezekiel says, I will put my spirit within you. And so Jesus is saying, don't do anything until that. Now here's what we're going to see, church, and this is why our church needs to remember this again and think about this again. In Acts chapter 2, these normal people, not just the apostles, but these 120 people that are followers of Jesus are all together. And the Holy Spirit's coming on them. Now, you still have to come next week, even though this is next week's sermon, okay? Everybody say amen. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's going to come upon these people, and then Peter starts preaching this crazy sermon. Now, let's reach back and think for just, just a minute what we studied in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, now Jesus, make no mistake, is born in an amazing, miraculous way. But then we have really nothing about him until his ministry begins and suddenly Jesus bursts on the scene at about 30 years old and he shows up and there's a guy named John the Baptist who's baptizing. You guys remember this? And Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and what happens? It says that the Spirit of God descends down on Jesus like a dove. The Spirit comes upon him in that moment and this voice is heard, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from that moment on, Jesus' life looks really different, I'm convinced of it. 
Not that he wasn't God before, don't mistake. But I believe Jesus was a normal guy growing up. Perfect, sinless, but just part of the community. It was a pretty average upbringing in that area. He was a a carpenter's son. And here's why I know this and here's why I believe this. Because Jesus goes into the wilderness and he gets tempted. And then he comes out and he goes into a synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. You, You remember this? He walks in. This passage, this scroll is handed to him. It's the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens up and he reads Isaiah and it says this. And the scroll the prophet Isaiah was given him, he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now the text goes on to say that everyone's eyes are looking at him. So he's in his hometown. The passage he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has called me to preach good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. And everybody's watching him and he sits down and what does he say? Today, this has been fulfilled among you. Right in front of you, this has been fulfilled. I'm the one he was talking about, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He says it right in that moment. And what's their reaction? Everybody goes, this is just Joseph's kid. Isn't this just Joseph's kid? But they know something's different, because now it's not just like, this is Joseph's kid. What's he saying? Like, it's wonder and amazement. It's the word I used before. It's awe. They are like, this is just the guy that we've seen for 30 years, like making tables and chairs and things like that. This is just Joseph's kid. Something has changed in that point. Something happened differently. And you see the ministry of Jesus explode as he begins bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to the people all throughout the area. Just like Isaiah said, the spirit would be upon him so that he would proclaim that good news to the lost. And listen, that happens to everybody. Not to the same degree. I'm not saying we're all like Jesus, but let me, let me explain. In chapter 2 next week, what are we going to see? We're going to see Peter. Peter is the biggest goof-off and mess-up in the apostle ranks. And he preaches this incredible sermon. How many people get saved? 3,000 people. I've never even heard of that, no matter how big your services are anywhere else. Peter foot-in-mouth Peter, preaches the gospel boldly, and 3,000 people get saved. But here's the crazy thing that was pointed out in a teaching I actually took in just recently that I had never really realized before. He goes, but don't forget, everyone was preaching. It actually says that as the Holy Spirit came upon the people, it says that every one of them were declaring the wonderful, marvelous works of God in a way that everyone there could understand. They were all preaching boldly. Peter's job was just to say, no, this is what's going on, fellas. Like His job was actually easy in a sense. He's just explaining this is what they're talking about. They're the ones preaching the original sermon. And listen, that's available to all of us. That the Holy Spirit would come upon the people of his church, no matter how ordinary or how messed up you might feel, that God might use you because of the power of his spirit and the truth and the good news of his message to declare the marvelous works of God all over the world and to see amazing things happen. That's for you and me. 
And our culture has kind of got that reversed. We look at that story and we go, okay, well, it must have been a normal church service because Peter got up in front and everybody else sat in pews and listened to the sermon. That is not what happened. 120 people, every single Christian started preaching the gospel and no one could believe it. And 3,000 people were saved because of it. You can have that, church. Like, we can be a part of that. If we would trust the Spirit of God and be willing to step out in those ways, God can use us in that way. It might not be 3,000, but it'll be just as miraculous because even if one person gets saved, heaven rejoices. Amen? And so this is why I'm so excited to be doing this. This is why I'm so excited. I want to see, we were talking about this as a staff this week. Like, I, I want to see a move at Heritage that is only explainable by the Spirit of God. That would say that is way over Jeff's pay grade. There's no way Jeff led that. That is the Holy Spirit for sure. And Bronwyn would be like, preach. <laughs> right? It's true. But what would God do if we truly submitted? We can find out. And that's what I'm hopeful. So Jesus tells him, do not leave Jerusalem until my spirit comes. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, so Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, again, what did I say? We love to make fun of the apostles because they make us feel better about ourselves, right? And so a lot of times we go, oh, these numbskulls, they don't get it. Jesus is teaching them over and over. And now they're like, uh, are we going to rule now? And, and we mock this question. But let me, let me correct that. This is a really good question. This question shows that the apostles, the followers of Jesus, know their Bible. Because they know that there's prophecies in the book of Joel that tie the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit into this prophecy about the future and ultimate reign of God all over the earth. So they're hearing Jesus talk about this spirit and they're going, so is this what's being talked about? This is a genuine and a very good, educated, biblically educated question for them to ask Jesus. They're saying, is this what you're talking about? And, and hear me, church, before we even move on, because we're about to say no, not yet. Just remember one more thing. Let's just remind ourselves of something that we might uh, uh, have that awe. That kingdom is coming. Amen? Like, let us be like them who couldn't wait for the day that that kingdom comes. I, I've found myself before, maybe some of you guys have done this, like where you're like, man, I really hope Jesus comes. But not today, because I have tickets to a football game on Tuesday night, but after the football game, Jesus, please come. Have you ever had like, the, like we've had those kind of thoughts before and all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? That's probably, though it's, it's our flesh and we wrestle, I understand all of that. It's also probably a complete misunderstanding of how incredible the kingdom of God is going to be when it comes. And that's what we should be waiting for. Like we need that awe that would say, football game, forget it. <laughs> forget, I won't be heartbroken by my team losing in the kingdom of God. So I should, please come quickly, Lord Jesus, before Denver kicks off today. Amen? That would be great. That would be great. But this, they're excited about this. So let's give them credit for that. So, verse 7, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so again, his focus is, look, 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 guys, it's not about the wind. Don't focus on that. Just think. You're going to get power to carry my mission out Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. He tells them a couple of things. He says, first of all, you're not going to just hunker down in Jerusalem and wait till I come again. You're going to go out. The Spirit must come and you must go. 
That's the way it works. The Spirit must come and you must go. And the same here. We have two callings here at Heritage, not because Heritage is different from some other church, but because this is the church of God. That our calling is to love one another here within the family of God in the best way that we possibly can, and then to share this gospel and the love of Jesus Christ with people outside of the family of God. That's our calling. So that strangers become friends and friends become family through redemption in Jesus Christ. That's the mission. And he's like, no, you're, stop worrying about the timeline. I'm coming, I promise, I'm coming. But the way to prepare for my coming is to be faithful to my calling. So listen, you're going to receive power and you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to carry the good news of my return so that when I do come, people who want to be part of my kingdom are not left out. Amen? Carry that message everywhere. This is what he calls us to do. And, and church, notice, like, not to give away the end of the book here uh, on day one, but it kind of happened. Like, we're here. And like we've said before, Medford, Oregon is pretty much the ends of the earth if you're starting in Jerusalem. Amen? They did it. Like, that's amazing. These guys did it. Under Roman opposition and religious persecution, with Jesus gone, and before, uh, the, before this actually happening, us having no indication that they were really ready for any of this stuff, the power of God comes and they did it. Or better yet, God did it through them. Amen, church? And that's what's really cool. Like We are walking proof that what we are reading is true. Walking proof. If anybody ever says, that stuff you're studying at church true, you just go, well, I'm standing here, ain't I? Amen? It is true. It's absolutely true. So, in closing, I want us to understand three things about the book of Acts moving forward that I think will help our time moving forward in a really good, powerful way. Three things. Number one, the book of Acts presents to us our heritage. Pun intended. But the book of Acts presents to us our heritage. This is the story of how we got here. And it's important that we know that story. Amen? Like my, my kids studying U.S. history, I want them to learn U.S. history. We all want them to learn U.S. history because when you forget your story and where you're from, man, you get set up for all kinds of problems moving forward. So uh, I'll give you a quote. George Orwell said this, The most effective way to destroy a people group is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. The most effective way to destroy a people group is to have them forget who they were and where they've come from. Because our past and what we've been through and these things right here, this is where our culture comes from. This is where calling comes from. And most importantly, as Christians, this is where identity comes from. And when you forget who you are and where you've been, who knows where you're going after that? So it's important for us to understand in the same way that we want our kids to understand U.S. history so they can understand why our, our country even became the way it is. There's things about our past we want to learn from our mistakes for sure, amen? But we also want to understand, like, what was the foundations of so many things? Why is that such a big deal? Because we don't want to forget who we were because that's going to affect who we will become. And so here at Heritage 2, it's important for us to remember who we were and how we got here because that helps inform us on where we're supposed to go as a church in general. Amen? So we want to remember, and I'll tell you, way too many churches have forgotten that. Way too many churches have forgotten that. But I, I don't want to go down that road. I'm going to stay positive today. So, um, and and let's, let's say again, I said this a minute ago, 
Jesus himself taught that the way to prepare for the return of God is to remember and be faithful to the mission. Amen? He taught it himself. To prepare for my coming is to be faithful to my mission, and this is where our mission comes from. Amen? Uh, so, which is point number two. Acts presents to us our mission. And here's what's interesting about the book of Acts. It actually ends really abruptly. It's sort of, I don't even know if I'd call it a cliffhanger. It's sort of like a, is that it? Is there not more to that? Like it seems, you know, those kind of movies where you're like, no, we didn't close it all up. There's still stuff happening. Where's the, we want everything to finish. That's kind of the way the book of Acts ends. And the reason for that is the work in the book of Acts is still ongoing. Um, Our church is part of the Acts 29 church planning network. There are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. It's called Acts 29 because the idea is we are the continuation of the story of the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Our mission is the same mission that was given. Our God is the same God that was there. All of this is the same. Our church is the same. Some people will say like, um, I've had this all the time at like pastor's conferences and things like that. They'll say like, how old is your church? You know what a good answer to that question is? Over 2,000 years old, that's how old my church is. That's what we, because we're part of the same thing. And our mission is still the same. There is no new commandment. We are to go throughout the earth and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do. So Acts reminds us of our mission, and this is good for us, especially in this season. Like, why would we plant Sam and Grant's Pass? Why would we get rid of a gifted worship leader and teacher? Why would we have families that would sell their house and move to Grant's Pass to do this? Why would we spend money on all these things? Because we want to be faithful to the same calling that the apostles had, to plant churches and to spread the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the, earth, uh, of the earth, or from Medford to Jackson County to Josephine County to Oregon to the United States to North America to Uganda. That's what we're called to do. That's our mission. Amen? And then last one, number three, and I'll say it one more time. Acts reminds us of our future. Acts remind us, uh, reminds us of our future. Over and over, we're going to see little things happen. In the, well, they're, not, they're big things. But we're going to see them over and over and over. Things like, uh, like a guy whose legs don't work and he's hobbled and broken and begging on the side of the road will suddenly be restored walking, jumping, praising and leaping God. Is, uh, leaping and praising God, however the song goes. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you're going to see places where the hungry are fed. You're going to see places where the blind receive sight, where, where the broken are healed, where the outcast is brought in, where the demon possessed is set free, and where the sinner is given life again. You're going to see these little things happen. And they're going to happen by the Spirit of God through the church. And in each case, what's happening is a little bit of that kingdom of God is breaking through into a darkened world. Because in the kingdom of God, there won't be people with broken legs. And in the kingdom of God, there won't be people who are hungry because everyone will be fed. In fact, it's going to kick off with a big feast. In the kingdom of God, there won't be blind. We will, in fact, we won't only be able to see, we will see all things really clearly, the scriptures tell us. In the kingdom of God, we won't be isolated. The family of God will be gathered together in his house. In the kingdom of God, all that brokenness will be gone And so as the apostles go through and the Holy Spirit works through them, it's these little mini invasions where pockets of the kingdom of God are established in a broken world all around. And in those things, as we see them, every single time, we shouldn't just have awe at the miracle that happened, but let it give us hope, knowing that that's absolutely going to happen again. 
I, I was talking about this. Guys, you can come on up because we're going to close in worship here in just a second. I was talking about this and about the boldness that you see in the Holy Spirit here. In the, I mean, in the apostles and, and, and even just in that Acts chapter 3 story, like looking at a guy who's broken, begging for money. And they're like, no, I don't have any money, but I tell you what, instead, get up and walk. Now, look, I've done a lot of hospital visits in my day, a lot of them. I have never walked into a hospital room and told somebody, hey, get up. In fact, I say the opposite. Like if I walk in and people are like, oh, Pastor Jeff, I'm like, no, 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 lay down. Those of you got cords on you, man, lay down. Like the boldness that they would believe that God can heal and do that. What should that look like for us? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to just start rolling the dice and walking into the hospital and go, hey, get up. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to do that either, but I, do, but I do know this. One thing I can say with 100% certainty, and we'll let the Holy Spirit figure this out as we walk through. One thing I know is no matter how bad someone's health situation is, I know God's going to put them back together again if they're facing Jesus. I know they will. Talk to a sister in our church family that this week got a cancer diagnosis. And praying with her and talking with her and, and thinking these kind of things through, one thing I can say with absolute certainty is whether God heals her permanently or not on this side of eternity, he is absolutely going to put everything back together. And so because of that, no matter what happens here, she has hope in Jesus Christ. And so church, may we recover awe, our story, our mission and walk through this book with huge, great hope in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Not just saving us from our sin, but saving us from our brokenness and saving us from the brokenness that's all around us ultimately. Amen, church? Isn't he a good God? Isn't it incredible what he's doing? Man, he really is. He really is. You know, it... It's, it's going to be said this way, we'll get to a place where, where they're going to say of the apostles, these crazy apostles they're teaching, they're going around, they're turning the world upside down. But it's actually not true. The world is upside down. And through the Holy Spirit, the world's being turned right side up. And I'm excited that we, Heritage Christian Fellowship, get to be part of it if we so choose to follow him and allow his spirit to work through us. So at this time, what we want to do is respond to this in three different ways. One of the ways that we respond is in prayer. It's super easy for us to take these in and go, okay, we did our church service thing and the sermon's over, got it, and then we walk out and the next thing you know, you're talking about lunch, you're talking about football, and by Tuesday you're going, I don't even remember what that sermon was. Did we go to church this week? I don't even remember. Like that happens so easily. I want to encourage you, hey, take a time to pause and to go, Lord, man, I haven't even, I haven't even called out to your spirit in so long. Like, what, God, what would it look like if I, if I truly believed that I had the Spirit of God in me, what would my life look like moving forward? Maybe, maybe spend some time asking him that right now and beg for the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you're one where you would say, man, I, I wish I had that awe, but I'm sort of just used to church stuff. And when you talk about heaven, it doesn't get me as excited as it used to. Then, man, pray for that. May the Holy Spirit remind you yet again of these truths and, and testify to you once again that you are his. Maybe you're here and you've, you've never, never heard any of these things. You don't know any of this stuff, but you just heard about this Jesus who died for your sins and has provided a way that you might be saved. Then I would say right where you are, pray and say, Lord, I believe, help me. And then come grab me 
grab one of us and let's, let's talk. Let's, let's welcome you into the family and talk about what it looks like and, and, and just be part of this new family of God that you can walk through this with us as well. And then also one of the other ways we're going to respond is we give. The giving that we give, the generosity here funds this mission moving forward. So Pastor Sam and the church in Philippi exist because of your generosity. So I encourage you, man, if you want to respond, we respond in worship because of God's gifts to us. We give to that. And then the other way that we respond is that we sing. So what's going to happen is the brothers are going to come forward now and they're going to receive the offering. They're going to pass baskets. And then I want to invite you. If you're praying, then go to your knees in prayer for sure. But then stand, lift your hands, and sing to the king. Because here's the deal. He's coming, right? Right now, in stadiums all over the U.S., people with lifted hands are worshiping. Except Bronco fans. But lifted hands like this, just worshiping. And listen, they're worshiping something that will never satisfy them. Our king is coming. And no more disappointment on the day that he arrives. So pour your heart out to him. Oh, no, they're counting me down. Oh, I got four more minutes. You guys can sit down. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But lift your hands, lift your heart, worship, and sing. Amen, church? So, God, at this time, we just commit this time to you, Lord, in these last 10 minutes or so as we're here gathered together. Lord, may you receive our gifts. May they be an honor to you. May you use them, Lord, to spread this mission and spread your gospel all over the world to to love and care for people as well. I pray, God, if there's anyone here in this place who have not given their lives to you, Lord, may they pray to you even now. May they call out to you now and be saved. And Lord, bring them into our family. Bring them um, into the community of believers, God. And we pray, Lord, for that day. Lord, may you come quickly. May your reign be established. May you truly be and show as King of kings and Lord of lords enthroned upon this world, Lord, on a day when the brokenness is gone. Lord, we can't wait for that day. And so we worship you now in total and complete confidence, belief, and faith that that day is coming. So, Lord, your people sing to you. May you be honored by it. In Jesus' name, let's worship Heritage. song.